0: We're going to continue worshiping the Lord through uh, time and the word. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to uh, open up Ephesians chapter six. We're going to try to finish up Ephesians today and we'll spend uh, the summer working through some of the psalms. So uh, finish up Ephesians today. When you find it, you don't mind saying amen. All right. Ephesians six. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it as boldly as I ought to speak, so that you, may, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow now before you. And we would ask that you would be our teacher. Father, what your people need most is to hear a word from you. And so would you speak through your servant that you might build us all up, that we might be able to do what this passage calls us to do. And that is to be able to stand. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus name. Amen. There comes a point uh in time where every dad will probably at some point have to teach his son or daughter how to fight right and i think we're we're responding to this reality that we live in a world where bullies exist we live in a world where there are people who will try to harm and uh do damage to those we love and so i mean i can think through just certain parts of my childhood where my dad would just talk to me about how to hold my guard up and just just those small things, just because you never know, right? You, You never know that you might actually need to defend yourself. The Apostle Paul is really a father to this church in Ephesus, and he has talked to them about the beauties of the gospel, but he's also aware that they will need to defend themselves and they will need to fight that there are bullies in the world who will seek to do them harm and he wants nothing more than for them to be able to stand. And so Paul is really honest that, that, that the Christian life is a life of war and you see it. I mean, I want us to think through what he's talking about in my Bible right above verse 10, it says put on the whole armor of God. And so right then you you kind of know that this whole section is about warfare, right? So, Paul is really clear here that that, that there is a fight. And I I want us to think through just sort of how this fits in the broader book. And I won't jog your memories from Ephesians 1 to Ephesians 6. You've been here with us. But I want you to think about the heights that Paul has taken us in the gospel. That we've been loved by God. We've been adopted by God. That we've been uh, sacrificed for through the person and work of Jesus we've been sealed by the Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit gets inside of us, he changes us from the inside out, that we go into our homes and we become better husbands and we become better fathers and we become better wives and we become better children, we become better masters, right? That this is the working of the gospel. Once we're redeemed and reconciled and our heart of stone is replaced with our heart of flesh, you start to see this change, right? that you start to see a change in our sexuality, our change in our theology of work. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him work, that he might have something to share, that you start to see fleeing sexual morality. All of these truths are coming out of a new heart. Now, that's good, right? All of that is in Ephesians 1 through 6. And then you get to our section, and what Paul is basically basically telling us is, yeah, that's really good and it's glorious. But the application of this in your life is going to be hard. It's going to be war. And you see the warfare language. uh, And and I want us to split hairs here for a second. That on the one hand, we could say that that the Christian life is hard because of, of what is in us. Right. Romans chapter seven, our own indwelling sin. Paul says that which I want to do, which is good. I find that that is not what I do, but the evil, right? That there was a law waging war in my members. And so on the one hand, if you had to sort of step back and say, okay, what makes living the Christian life difficult? On the one hand, we can say our own indwelling sin, that for some providential reason, God has chosen to sanctify He has chosen to justify us. It is finished on the cross of Christ. And there is this process of sanctification but we're not glorified yet, right? And so as long as we're still breathing on this earth, there are remnants of the old man or old woman there, and that's going to make your sanctification or, being, or looking like Jesus hard. But that isn't what Paul is talking about in this passage. The problem in our passage is not internal, right? This isn't indwelling sin that he's addressing. He's actually addressing a problem on the outside, right? Some outside force, some outside war. Now, you see this warfare language through this, this word schemes, right? So I think there, there are three or four words in here. The armor, this idea of armor, that clues us to warfare. The weapons, they clue us to warfare. But even more, th- this idea of schemes. Paul talks about uh, that, that, that we might uh, be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We'll come to who we're at war with, but scheming, right? It's this idea of a calculated uh, strategized attack right that that the NBA finals are over and I hate it right it was it just went by too fast I know Golden state I got you Tasha but you know but if you if you watch not just the game but if you watch it from a, a, a coach's perspective then what you realize is that Steve Kerr is, is always trying to get Klay Thompson open Always trying to get uh, uh, Stephen Curry open, always putting KD in mismatches, right? And the way he does that is through scheming, right? So if he has the ball coming down and, and, and Curry's man is on him, they really want the mismatch. They want to get a longer, taller, slower man on Stephen Curry so that he can move and shake and then get a shot off. And so what they'll do is they'll run a pick and they'll bring another man pick and they'll get the switch, and all of a sudden, these men will switch. You're like, wait a minute. Why is this center on this guard? Well, that was a scheme. That was by design. That was, not, that, that was not haphazard. They are not playing sandlot ball out there, right? That's a scheme. And then why is all the motion on the opposite side where these men are moving? And all of a sudden, you see this man dot across the baseline, and he's right over here open because this other man set a pick on his man so that he can get open. This is not sandlot basketball, right? These are schemes, That coaches draw up to get their shot that they want their players to have. And what Paul is saying is that we're we're being schemed in a sense. That there is a mastermind behind what we can see with our own eyes who is scheming and plotting against God's kingdom and against God's people. And it's not haphazard, family. That's the first thing we see, right? This clues us to the the nature of the war that we're in. Paul also talks about this wrestling, right? He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We'll come back to that again. But that word right there, wrestling, it literally means this close hand to hand combat. Now, press into this image a little because I think what Paul is saying is that this war is not just in theory. It's not just like someone's drawing up these plays and these things are happening, but even closer. There's a wrestling. There's a there's a something will invade your space and will get up and close to you. And you can't see it. Right. You can't see it. But there is this tussling, this wrestling with something. Right. And Paul tells us what we're wrestling with later. But notice again, it's, it's this invasion This isn't isn't warfare from afar. This isn't drawing on a whiteboard. This is like, no, in-your-face wrestling. The next thing he says is these these flaming darts, right? The the shield of faith to extinguish these flaming darts. And that's different, right? And and I think what he's doing is he's, he's drawing a comparison. On the one hand, this war will be up close and it will invade us. But on the other hand, there are things coming to us from a distance, right? It's, it's, it's the difference between sort of the, the army, that when you're going into a war, you kind of use the Air Force. And what does the Air Force do? They kind of fly over and, and, and bomb, you know, communication lines. They bomb certain things. And then what's the second wave? The second wave is hand-to-hand comeback. Soldiers who are going to get on the ground. That's what Paul is saying, that, 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 that the war is coming on two fronts that it's invaded, it's up and close, it's on us, in us. And it's also sort of these things that are coming that we can't see, that, that, that we're just getting hit from different ways through these flaming darts. And Paul knows this, right? He knows this personally, because where is he at this moment? If you could have asked him where he wanted to be, he wanted to be in Ephesus. But Paul is in prison. He's in chains. He's being resisted. And that's what this, the last section is. Verse 21, that you may know how I'm doing. I'm sending Tychicus to you. Why? Because I am an ambassador in chains. In verse 20. So Paul himself is a walking illustration of what he's talking to them about. Now, why is this important? Because in your pursuit of, of becoming like Jesus, I want you to know that it's, it's, it's going to feel at times like you're in a headwind and not a tailwind. And that's a difference. My wife and I flew to Ethiopia several years ago and I noticed just like, man, on the way there was like an hour and a half shorter than the trip coming back. And so I'm just like, man, why is that? And so one of our former students, Thomas, was a, is a pilot and I'm like, man, why is that? And he talks about the jet stream and he talks about just, it's, it's this, meteorological stuff. I'm not I'm not a meteorologist, but I'm I'm hearing that there are there's this kind of this jet stream up north and, and it kind of pushes this way and if you're flying in it your plane flies faster, needs less fuel, needs less stops. But if you're kind of coming from Ethiopia, coming back against it, that is pushing against you and the plane has to work harder. It needs more fuel. You got to make this other stop over here before you come across. Look, your sanctification is happening at times in a headwind, right? That there are forces resisting and you'll get there like you'll get there. You will get to the finish line because what God has started in you, he will finish it in Christ Jesus. But it will be hard because we're in a war. Now, why is this helpful? I think because as Christians, we have to live the Christian life in a stereophonic and not a monophonic way. What do I mean by that? Stereo is surround sound. You got sound coming out of both sides. Monophonic, you got sound coming out of one side. And here is what Paul is doing with putting Ephesians 6 at the end of the letter. God loves you. You're pardoned. You're loved. You're forgiven. You're his child. You're in his home. He will never leave you, never forsake you. It is all grace. It is through faith. Even the faith that you have, God gave. That's good news. And you know what else you got to hear at the same time? It's going to be hard and it's going to be resisted and it's going to be war. You have to hear those two things at the same time. And here's why that's good news. First of all, it's good news if dealing with you, I think for me, I think I'm the hardest on myself. Like when I think about my own sin, my own guilt, my own shame, I just have a hard time preaching the gospel to myself. And there are times in my life where I need to say, you know what? That wasn't you. That wasn't sin living in you. You're being attacked from the outside. You know, like I think when I when I sit before the Lord and want to repent of my sin and want to examine my heart. There's a part of that repenting and reflecting that I need to own what what's in me. But there's a part of that reflecting Well, I need to say, you know what, that was temptation that was not sin that came from outside of me. And therefore, Lord Almighty, thank you for letting me see how the evil one works. Right. I'm not going to repent for what he's doing. I'm going to own what's mine. I think it's helpful if you're you're walking with people that you love, like understanding that their sanctification is being worked out. Right. In a place of resistance. Like there's an enemy out there who wants to sift them as wheat. There's an enemy out there who wants to tempt them and wants them to fall, who wants them to make a mockery of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's really helpful if we're going to truly love the other person to be able to say, you know what? I see it. You're being attacked. You're being sought out. And rather than shame you come here, that's the enemy. See, the worst thing that can happen is to be attacked from the outside and then to come inside where you need help and listening ears and a gracious heart and what is not yours but is an attack of the enemy, then this person sort of shames you because they're looking at you like you did this when in actuality you're being attacked. You know what that does? That drives a wedge between the person you're trying to love. And so it's helpful here to know that everyone we love, that that they're living their sanctification out of that place of resistance. And it's helpful to know this because God knows He knows that it's hard. He knows that we're tempted. He knows that we're tried. He knows that there is an enemy out there, right? He knows. The second thing Paul is honest about in this text is who the real war is with, who is scheming against us, who are we wrestling with. Who is hurling the fiery darts at us? And that's a really fair question. So notice what Paul says in verse, 12, in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So what does he mean right there? Flesh and blood. He's talking about people, right? The real problem, the real enemy is, is not another party, right? Right. The real enemy is not another person. The real enemy is not another cause. The real enemy behind what's happening in our world is the work of the evil one. That's why it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against what? Rulers, spiritual rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Now, look, this would have certainly pricked the attention of the church. Here's why. If you were a Jew and you were in this church and Paul writes, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You want to know why you would be all ears right there? What was Israel doing in the passage that we read this morning when they came out of Egypt? Fighting. And the Lord was fighting for them. And what were they to do after they crossed the Red Sea to go into the land of promise and to do what? Fight with spears and with swords and with shields. And what were they supposed to do? Fight against other nations to do what? to get land so that they could settle in the land of God and build their temple and worship and live under God's blessing. And so when Paul says, we do not fight against flesh and blood, if you were a Jew, your ears are pricked now. What do you mean we don't fight against flesh and blood? See, they missed it. When Jesus came, they wanted Jesus to fight against flesh and blood. And Jesus says, no, there is another battle. There's another enemy we're fighting and he's not on the throne in Rome, right? And so when Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, if you were a Jew, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you talking about? I thought this is our land, right? I thought we're going to be able to build this and dispossess this and do this. And Paul is basically saying, no, that fight has already been won. Jesus is the land. Jesus is the temple. And you're home at him. Okay, well, guess what? I guess we put our, put our weapons down and we don't fight. No, says Paul was. He says, no, 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 you're wrong there too. There is a war. You're still going to fight. It's just not other people. Well, who? This is the schemes of the devil. These rulers, these spiritual rulers and authorities and demons and cosmic powers of present darkness and spiritual forces. The hurling flaming darts are coming from the evil one. What Paul is doing is opening up their eyes To see the world as God sees it. That we are in the middle of war. War against Satan. And war against demons that fell with him. And war against these legions. There's this reason that when Jesus shows up on the scene, how many demons are in you? Legions and legions of them, right? You start to see this 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 peak of demonic activity when Jesus shows on the scene. Right. And so R.C. Sproul goes on to say that we must believe that demons are in many places. In the Bible, we see them possessing people and oppressing people and causing them bodily harm and property damage and all kinds of things. People are even demon possessed. But I don't think Christians can be because the spirit of God resides in us. And where the spirit resides in a regenerate person, there is liberty. But what R.C. Sproul is talking about is just, look, let's not discount this reality of the demonic. There are spirits. And beings. that we can't see. Who hate you. They hate the Lord. And they hate the things of the Lord. And they hate the word of the Lord. They hate the message of the Lord and they hate the believers of the Lord. And so Ephesians says it's not a matter of if we wrestle with the demonic family, that it will be wrestling up close and personal. And flaming darts from the left and to the right and from the above. I think when we think about the demonic or Satan, we instantly kind of go to horror movies with people with kind of their heads kind of spin all the way around and these crazy loud noises. I mean, I think really like when I think about the demonic, that's what I think. Like I think about if I'm gonna see a demon, I'm gonna know what it look like, right? <laughs> or it's gonna look, it's gonna look this kind of way, right? And, and because I don't see that, then I assume that everything is just sort of okay. But man, Listen to what a guy named Kent Hughes says. We're deceived if that is our image of what is evil. Satan has been honing his methods for millennia. His emissaries visited church councils at Nicaea and Chalcedon, or Chalcedon. He sat on medieval faculty meetings. He is an accomplished philosopher, theologian, psychologist. He has had thousands of years to study. He says, look, I'm no genius at mathematics, but if you give me 10,000 years to live upon the earth, I will be more brilliant than Newton or Einstein. I guarantee it. He says, Satan has had multiple millennia to study and master human disciplines. And when it comes to the human, when it comes to human subversion, he is the ultimate manipulator. What is he saying? He's actually saying, do you really think? that the one who was a father of lies, the one who parades around as an angel of light, do you really think he's gonna attack you with something that is readily noticeable by these physical eyes? He says, get over yourself. He's been around longer than, just a long time, you know? <laughs> He studied people. He studied temptation. He knows you inside and out, maybe not purely and fully, but he knows our weaknesses. And he capitalizes on it. Now, where where would we see him at work? Has it ever dawned on you that. The Satan entered into Judas. And then he betrayed Jesus. That Ananias and Sapphira, he entered into them and then they lied. That when you look at the Bible, he is active. This, this evil spirit comes upon Saul. Like when you look at the Bible, and I, I don't want you to treat it like it's, a, 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 it's a, a Marvel movie, that this is sort of not true. This is actually really true, that people in the scriptures did really bad things, Under the influence of a really bad evil one. And I think our temptation is to divorce his present reality and existence and working from our experience. And so the one guy says. If you read saints from every age before the modern era. You will find that they take the devil very seriously. As Paul would remind us, we are not unaware of his schemes. If you've read uh, Dallamore's biography on Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon admits to blasphemous thoughts that just burst in his mind and they wear him out. And he can't stop these thoughts. That if you listen to C.S. Lewis when he was writing screw tape letters, he writes of this severe depression unparalleled at any other point in his life. When you read about Martin Luther, and we just sang the hymn he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, he's writing that as he is translating the Bible. He's sitting there trying to translate the Bible into his modern vernacular, and all of a sudden he is assaulted and attacked. When you go back, 400 500 600 700 years and back they had a really robust theology of wickedness and here we go in our day and age we are so arrogant we are so arrogant that we dismiss the the demonic And if we can't explain it or think of it or put it into psychological or or, or physiological terms, then we're always looking for some term to label it. Why can't we just say that there is an evil one who is at work? And he wants to sift you as wheat, and he wants you to not believe in the gospel, and he wants to ruin your family. He wants to stir chaos in your marriage, He wants to make you fall in love with this world, even though there are warnings in Scripture to say, "Number your days." He tells you, "No, number your days for what?" He, 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 he allures us, right? Why can't we just just own that? And let the truth of scripture be true and not have to fit this inside of our American worldview. There is the demonic out there and he is real. And he turns the knob down on grace and he wears you out with law. He makes you desire things of this world just like he did with Adam and Eve and you forfeit your soul. C.S. Lewis writes about, he says this in screw Tape* Letters, he says, when two humans live together, it is impossible not to develop uh, tones of voice and facial expressions which are irritating to one another. Work on your patient Carefully, and make sure that she sees what annoys her in the other person, and then let her think that he does this and is doing this to annoy and aggravate her. You hear what he's saying? When you live with somebody and you got these mannerisms with your face, get inside their heart and make her think he is doing this just to aggravate you so that you can get angry, right? He says, make 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 your make your make your patient so spiritual, right? And so spiritual and praying for his mother's salvation that he ignores her rheumatoid arthritis. <laughs> right? Like make make him so devout to pray for her conversion that his mother cannot even walk and he will not even go over there and rub her feet. That's how he works, beloved. That's how he works. You've watched the news this week. Two suicides out of the blue. Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. Like you, you, you get that? You have everything that the world would want. And there's a voice inside of your head that talks louder than you. And Satan, does, he doesn't come and say, you do this. Oftentimes when I detect him, it's, it's in this first person type way. It's like, oh, I, I I'm angry. Well, technically, I shouldn't be angry. I should give grace. Where did this I just come from? This I came because you working on me, right? I see what you're doing. Beloved, that's what Paul is saying. It's not a coincidence that our young girls struggle with image. They're hearing voices that tell them that they aren't enough. Right. It's not a coincidence that our young men wrestle with sexual sin. Because there's a voice that tells them that this is what makes you a man. You get it. That on some level, we have to step back and say. There are powers of darkness at work. Not to humble us. Now. The last thing Paul is honest about is he's honest about our response. What do we do? I love that Paul does not overestimate human strength. Have you, if you read this, did you notice that not one time does he say step on Satan? Not one time does he say defeat Satan? Now, one time, does he tell you to crush Satan? Have you read that? I mean, really think about what he's doing. He's really honest about how we should respond and how we do respond to this is not triumphalistic. In other words, Satan is above our pay grade. Like if you really think you're going to like do something to him. Come on, man. That's, That's what got us into trouble to begin with. Right. But someone has. And that's why Martin Luther wrote that in his hymn. He says, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Do do we ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord, Saviath, his name from age to age the same, and he will win the battle. You hear what Luther is saying? He will be defeated, but it won't be because of you and me. But he will be and has been because of someone stronger than us. And his name is Jesus. And so one of the things that Jesus did on the cross it was, beloved, it was to pay for your sin debt in all the ways that we buy into the lie of the enemy and all the ways that he deceives us. But through the power of the gospel, the Lord takes the blindness off of our eyes that we might see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And what Christ does is render up to the Father the absolute obedience that we owe him, And he pays for the debt that we owe the father because the father is holy and just and righteousness. That's one side of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But if you look at Colossians, he also did something else. It says through the cross of Christ. He triumphed over evil by nailing all of the requirements of the law to it. And so Satan by his nature is a liar and an accuser of God's people. And you want to know what God did on the cross? He vindicated his own righteousness. I get that they're sinners and I'm paying for it right here. That was the mortal blow that was struck upon the head of the serpent that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. And so in our theology about Satan, yes, he's alive. Yes, he's active. Yes, he has minions. But the other thing that we have to remember, we have to remember he is bleeding out. The clock is ticking on his life that the mortal blow has been struck at the cross and for every day that you endure, he is one day closer to his demise, that we're going to be renewed glory after glory and his glory is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and one day your Lord and Savior who crushed him on the cross will come back and will put the finishing blow on him and he will be done forever and God's people will not be tormented by sin anymore. And so as we think about Satan, we're fighting someone strong. But he's growing weak day by day because the clock is ticking. And so Jesus says to you, beloved, I don't need you to to, to defeat him. I've done that and I'm going to come back. This this is above your pay grade. I'm going to finish him off. What I do need you to do is to just stand. That's it. He does not say crush, kill, step on Satan. The one thing he says four times in this text is stand, stand. Look at what it says. Be strong in the Lord. Notice this is not your own strength and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand right there. Stand. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Go down to verse 13. Take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Look at verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. And so in your imagery of of spiritual warfare, you and I aren't at the front line trying to go back and beat the gates of hell down. Jesus says, I've done that. All I want you to do is to hold the ground. Just stand. And matter of fact, you're going to stand and it's not going to be in your own strength. I'm going to give you strength to stand. The armor that you wear, it's my armor, says the Lord. I give you this divine armor to stand against that enemy. That's all I need you to do is to stand. And when you fail, because you will fall and you will believe the lie. Notice how Ephesians end. It even ends with peace to you and love from faith. And from God the Father and grace be to you. So even when you stand or getting and getting knocked down, there's grace to you to pick you back up. All Jesus wants you and I to do, beloved, is to stand. He's done the hard work. Now the question is, how do we stand? I'm going to work through this really fast. How do we stand? Verse 14, with truth, the belt of truth. Truth will be like a belt to you, wrapped around you. The the belt would hold the sword in place and the garments in place that the soldier could be in his best posture to fight. Paul says the war against the enemy does not begin with human wisdom. It does not begin with human books. The word, the, the war begins with truth. Well, what is truth? Verse 17. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That is truth. And I know, right? I know there's a a, a tension. This is not legalism. For me to say. That Christians. This is your sword. This is how you and I detect the counterfeit that Satan will bombard our thoughts and our feelings with lies. And what one of the reasons that that, that the Lord gives us the word is that we might stand, that we might filter what we're hearing and feeling and desiring through the word of truth. And so when we don't have the word of truth going in our minds and our hearts, then you know what? We're going to believe the lies. We're going to give over to the lies, right? And so the first thing he says is, is, be committed to truth. The one famous person said a Bible falling apart from wear and tear is usually a sign that your life is not. There's a direct correlation sometime. Between this right here. And what's happening around us. And this is not legalism. This is not to earn God's favor. This is a father who desires to showcase his wisdom and knowledge to you, who does not take delight in you falling, who does not take delight in your evil thoughts being assaulted at you by the enemy. He says, no, beloved, meditate on this. The breastplate of righteousness that when Paul uses righteousness, it's always, always referring to the righteousness of Christ. And Satan is a slanderer and an accuser. Paul says the righteousness of Jesus is our defense. There's a rumor that Martin Luther, when he was translating the Bible, was attacked by Satan. Some say he actually hurled an ink bottle at Satan. That If you went to the castle, you could probably still see the ink stain on the wall. I don't know how much of that is true, right? But here's sort of a rumor about Luther's uh, encounter. And, and I, I believe some of it, right? I believe, like Luther, that's a big deal. You're you're like sparking the Protestant Reformation. You wrote a mighty fortress, is our God. I I, I can believe it, right? But here's what he says when Satan accused him. It says the devil sought to discourage Luther by making him feel guilty, rehearsing all of his sins. And when the devil had finished, Luther then said, think harder, Satan. You must have more than that. You must have forgotten some. And then the devil did think and he listened, listed more sins. And when he, when he was done enumerating all the sins, Luther said, now here is a red pen. I want you to write the blood of Jesus. God's son cleanses me from all those charges. That is like preaching the gospel to yourself. And that is wearing the righteousness of Christ when you can say I have sinned boldly in the face of God and God loves and gives grace to bold sinners. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that Luther would do. Not that we're going to be headlong into sin, but through and and in the sight of a righteous and holy God, we're guilty. And what Luther is saying is God loves guilty people who will repent and own it and send it to Jesus. It says shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness of the gospel. And think of the dominant command here is to stand, to stand, to stand. And so when he says shoes, you have to have shoes to stand. That, 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 that no shoes in combat for a, a soldier is like bad vision for a pilot, right? You can't do it. And what Paul is saying, I want you to stand. And to stand, you're going to need shoes. And what's going to firm you up and enable you to stand is the good news of the gospel. Preaching that back to yourself. In all circumstances, verse 16, take up the shield of faith because the enemy has flying darts coming everywhere. Paul says, believe the promises of God. He, he, he accuses, believe. He, he tries to make you not embrace the gospel, believe. He tries to discount the, the wordiness of God, the glory of God, believe. In other words, put this up and fight your feelings with faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help me to see, help me to lay hold of these promises that you have laid down in your word. You will never abandon your loved ones. Put on the helmet of salvation. The security that we have, the brain, the mind. Let it be guarded with this sense That we're his and he's ours and we're secure. That we're praying at all times in the spirit. That one of the effective ways of fighting is to destroy communication between an army and their general. If you can get in there and bomb and break up this communication so that the people on the ground don't know what to do because they're not getting instructions with home base, you have them right there. And so when Paul says... Keep this line of communication open. Your father is on the throne, and he is the general. And he wants to hear and answer that. I think we think about Satan and his demons and his minions, but there is also another side of that. God is not a lightweight, he's mighty in battle, he's a refuge, he's a fortress. That that image in in Exodus 14, he told Israel, you just stand right there. You stand right there and you watch me. What I do to Pharaoh and his men coming out after you. I'm going to split the water. I'm going to let you go through and I'm going to bury them. God himself is the warrior, right? And he has angels that he sends to minister to his people in our times of need. So we're not out there alone. We have armor and we have divine access to the throne of God to cry out and say, Daddy, Daddy, I need you to help me. I need you to give me strength. I need you to show up. And God will hear that prayer because you're accepted in the beloved. My prayer for us, beloved, is that if a doctor were to tell you you have a rare form of cancer, And you're going to have to change your lifestyle. And you're going to have to take these medicines. And there's seven of them. This is a cocktail. you got to take them. And you got to take them at the same time every day. And you have to clean up your diet. And you have to get rid of these foods. And you have to go, go here and get these foods. If the doctor says you have to come in and check in with me so I can weigh you and run tests, here's the question, beloved. Would you not know how to pronounce all six, all sevens of your medicines? Would you not go get a pill counter and put them in there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Would you not put this on your calendar to go see the doctor on this day and on this day? Would you not raise your refrigerator and put what's in there? Here's the truth, beloved. Your soul. Your soul. is being attacked and your father is telling you, this is what you do to live and this is what you do to stand. May we, up here included, trust and with the eyes of faith, put this armor on that we might stand. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you and uh, we pray that you will make us strong in the Lord Thank you, Lord Jesus, for defeating Satan already on the cross. Thank you for that great day of battle where you will come and put him under your feet. Help us, your people, to stand. And Father, I pray for those here who don't know you, who are still blind in their sins. Might they see that they cannot outwill themselves, that they cannot save themselves by their actions. May they bow the knee to Christ and trust the one who is stronger than their sin and stronger than the one who accuses them. We love you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.